This is Corkscrew Convo's Another Theme Park Podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is DJ. And we're here today to talk about theme parks, roller coasters, Batman roller coasters, barbecue, the theater, churros, turkey legs, everything else under the sun in its time. But first, DJ, let's get that disclaimer out of the way. The views, opinions, and information expressed during the following presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent organizations affiliated with those individuals. Na 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 Batman. Batman? Now why would we be talking about Batman roller coasters? We're just gonna have to wait and see why that is. Because Batman is a man of mystery, he's a complicated character, maybe even a tragic hero, but he also likes a little bit of suspense, and that's what we're going to be doing at the top of this episode, DJ. Suspense. Yes, Batman likes suspense. He likes suspense, and he likes to suspend. Oh, that's ah. called a clue. <laughs> well, DJ, speaking of suspense and clues, it's been a little bit since I've talked with you. And I want to know, what have you been up to? Well, I've been up to a variety of things. I have been retiling my shower in my house. It's basically almost done. I should be done within, probably tomorrow I'll have it all finished up. Uh, doing some modern subway tile in my very old house. Uh, my house is almost 100 years old. We did that on purpose. Um, just a great place to be at, but uh, really uh, nothing else has been uh, too much new. I think I got a new doorbell in, one of those video camera doorbells I'm going to install. And other mm. than that, uh, just been living, just uh, waiting to get back to these theme parks. How about you, yeah. Chris? Well, I must say, I was very impressed with the pictures that you sent me about this sort of tile mosaic that you're putting in your shower. I mean, I don't even know how to begin to do something like that. And here you are being practically a Roman, and it's very impressive. I'm very thankful for YouTube. For me, I guess, this past week, I haven't been up too much. I mean, I'm, I'm mainly just getting ready to smoke some wings for the Super Bowl that's coming up this weekend. I bet DJ's pretty excited for that, are you? I am a big Chiefs fan, extremely excited for the Super Bowl. And as a Chiefs fan, we can be excited because it's been a long time coming. I'm sure there's plenty of you out there who are in kind of the same boat, but... You know, if we win on Sunday, this could, I mean, argue with me here, but it could definitely be in a dynasty range at this point. Really interesting stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, I gotta say, I'm probably gonna root for the Chiefs as well over the Buccaneers. <laughs> I mean, it'd be interesting to see Brady win another ring with his first year at a new team. But you know, DJ, when I said what we're here to talk about, I didn't say football. So we gotta get back to the coasters. Is that good with you? Let's get right back to the coasters. We always have our little sidetrack, but now let's get to what we need to talk about. And, you know, Chris, we're on episode 17 today. Episode 17. So, of course, let's think of a roller coaster that opened in 1917. We'll start an episode with a little bit of history. DJ, I'm going to take you to Santa Monica, California. Ah, a place that I have actually been. Yeah. This is Blue Streak Racer. It was at Pacific Park. Okay. Now, it, it first opened in 1913, so it's uh, technically a 1917 coaster, but for the purposes of this exercise, 
we're going to call it a 1917 coaster because that was when it, that's when it was put into Pacific Park. So yeah, let's say 1913 at Wonderland Park in San Diego, just about um, maybe two hours south of Santa Monica, maybe a little more with traffic, of course, but that's where it, it's got its start. But then it moved, new, it moved north, and in 1917, that's when they opened up this twin racing coaster. Of course, it was a wooden coaster because all coasters are wooden coasters at that point in time. And each side was 3,500 feet long and 60 feet tall. So as far as coasters go of that age, that was probably a pretty substantial coaster um, to look at and even to ride. Because you look at a lot of coasters between maybe the beginning of wooden coasters in the late 1800s up until the 70s, this was pretty big. Yeah, definitely a big thing. And I think another thing to point out is, as being such a big coaster as it is, being able to relocate it is also a feat itself, especially in the 1920s, or in the 1917, I should say. Um, and even even now, you know, moving coasters is still fascinating to me. I'm always fascinated by the construction of them, but the ability to relocate one from one park to the other, um, extremely fascinating to me. And we're going to get to that in a little bit, but there's also the idea of cloned roller coasters as well. But in this case, it, it did exist before, and they took it down, and they resurrected it at a whole different park. Uh, plenty of rides do this all the time, but uh, there's also some more significance here with this coaster in where it's located, right? Well, let me say one thing to relocating coasters, because I've thought about this for a while, actually. I don't know, like, I'm no engineer. We've already established that on this show multiple times. But it just seems like an incalculable task to move a wooden coaster. All of that wood, wouldn't it just be simpler to build a new wooden coaster? Yeah, you would think so. The costs are really interesting to me. Plus, you have the transportation of moving all of the wood, and then you wonder, is some of the wood, you know, can, can it still be salvaged? I'm sure that's something they talk about before they buy it, but but always been fascinating to me, too, how they do move roller coasters. Again, m more fascinating to me than actually constructing them, but to hmm. take a, a ride from somewhere else taking some measurements, knowing it'll fit, and then getting the team that knows what they're doing to resurrect it, to rebuild it to uh, its same glory, and sometimes even better. Mm -hmm. I just imagine it takes a whole lot of labor to take it down piece by piece and then put it up piece by piece, but that's clearly what they did, and Blue Streak Racer, this coaster that we're talking about, was not the only wooden coaster to be moved at this time. I'll pull back the curtain a little bit when I'm doing my research preparing for the episodes where I'm pulling up these historic coasters. There are a lot of roller coasters that moved. In many cases, they were built at one place and then they moved to another place for an exposition to show off a coaster and, and sell tickets for that. Uh, so it's definitely, it was a pretty common thing uh, back in the day. And then we, like I said previously with the Phoenix, we did see that even into the 80s and 90s as well. So it's clearly worth it. I just struggle to wrap my head around it, DJ. I think I struggle to wrap my head around it too. Uh, and back to this coaster specifically, there's only three coasters that have ever really left their mark at the end of Historic Route 66. For those that don't know, this is one of the country's oldest highways, one of the most famous ones, spanning mm. literally across the whole country. The Mother Road. 
Mother Road, um, I live in the town I live. I live right in the middle of Route 66, or what used to be Route 66. And I've actually been to the end at Santa Monica to ride the West Coaster. But uh, there might be uh, another coaster there. What's the second coaster that we don't know about? You know, DJ, that's a good question. But as that coaster did not open in 1917, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it. Also known as I Don't Remember. <laughs> well, both that and the West Coaster, maybe we will put those away for now. We will table it. We will come back to it as the years um, go on down this journey. As we've talked about before, we're picking a roller coaster for each episode. Uh, next one will be 1918. We're going to tell you a little bit about it. And this is going to get fun, I think, once we get into the 60s and 70s when we're going to have uh, more information about these rides and know a little bit more about them. Well, DJ, you made me curious. And you know what they say about curiosity. It killed the cat. So I am actually looking it up right now, and oh, let's see, the other coaster at Pacific Park was Whirlwind Dipper. It was a coaster that opened in 1924, and I probably won't say anything else because that's probably the coaster Ooh. we'll use for our 24th episode. Otherwise, in addition to those two coasters, there is, of course, probably one of the most recognizable roller coasters out there, purely because of its ad nauseum use with commercials and TV and film. Like, I've seen the West Coaster, which is a particularly small roller coaster. It doesn't have any big drops or anything, but it looks like Americana. It looks like a roller coaster, and people just use it. I mean, uh, of course, with it being in Southern California, sometimes we see coasters at Knott's Berry Farm or even Six Flags Magic Mountain, but really... If people in Hollywood want to use a roller coaster, it's most likely going to be the West Coaster. Uh, but that coaster, uh, it opened in 1996, so we have a few episodes to go before that can be our anniversary coaster of the episode. That's right. So we're going to keep trucking along. We're going to get there. We'll tell you more about it. I'll tell you about my experience riding it. Uh, and I'm sure, Chris, you'll tell about your experience. You've been on it, correct? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So we'll we'll both give our thoughts on that, uh, and we'll tell we'll tell you why there's no wheels, no upstop wheels on the ride. That'll be an interesting one uh -huh. as well. But but you must wait, dear listener. Okay. Well, I'm gonna wait patiently. I look forward to hearing about that, DJ. We mentioned in our last episode that we were approaching 200 followers on the Instagram. That's right. We're approaching 250. I believe we're at around 220, 221 when I checked today. Um, but we are going to do a giveaway. We're going to put my coaster merch, put my money where my mouth is, and um, we're going to give something away. Now, I've got something really great here. I'm going to tell you all about what it is, but we're not just going to give it away. We're not just going to do the 250th follower. We've come up with a little system that Chris has kind of uh, worked out in his head, and we think this is going to work great. Chris, you want to say what's going to have to happen to get this prize? Well, sure, there is a very interesting procedure uh, that I started to write out, started to think it out. What would be the fairest option for people that are interested in being recognized in this celebration? And here it is. Upon our 250th follower on Instagram, we will have a special celebration post on the Instagram feed. And uh, we'll have more information about the drawing there as well, but to enter it essentially... You just have to follow the Instagram and then like and comment on that celebration post and you will be put in a drawing to receive a very special prize. Unfortunately, 
entries will only be valid for shipping to the contiguous United States. But DJ, what is that special prize going to be? The special prize for the person who finds that special post on our Instagram feed, follows our Instagram, or already is following, likes and comments the celebration post, will be receiving their very own coaster. And actually, four coasters, if I may add. It is a Great Coasters International Drink Coasters Pack. So you get four of these. It says, have a drink on us. Four drink coasters with the Great Coasters International logo on it. They're known for a variety of famous wooden roller coasters. Uh, lots over at Hershey Park, like Wildcat. And you also have the, the some more infamous and more famous ro- roller coasters like Wodan Timber Warrior, Gold Striker at uh, California's Great America, Prowler at Worlds of Fun, Mystic Timbers, Kings Island. So a variety of rides that you most likely have been on, I would wager uh, they have coasters all throughout the land. (laughs) And you probably have been on a Great Coasters International ride or a GCI, as the industry would say. So four drink coasters, a great talking point for anyone in your home that might see it or in your office or tucked away in your your little collection drawer, wherever it goes. But we are giving away four of these. Great to put your drink on and a really nice showpiece. Well, DJ, if I may be so bold, uh, this business that you mentioned, they really do make great coasters. They really do. And that's why I love the little joke that goes along with this. You say, oh, I love roller coasters. In fact, I love coasters of all kind. And you give your guest uh, one of these coasters. And it's really just a fun thing to talk about. A, a little uh, sort of cocktail thing or just you know, have on your desk something to talk about, something to stir up some conversation. Uh, but these are really cool coasters. Uh, I've got four of them here for giveaway. And I believe, if I'm correct, these are actually given out um, to their clients um, at a variety of things, whether it's the IAPA oh. Attractions X when they're selling a ride or uh, something similar that they give these out and so it's a promo item and it's really hard to find promo items of manufacturers i found so uh, if -hmm. you're really into this stuff it'll be even more special to you well dj what material are these coasters made of um, I have wondered this for a long time. Uh, again, this is out of Dalton's vault, right? I have a, a collection of a variety of things. Um, and I believe this is either some sort of um, small cork material, mm. or it's more of a reinforced hardy paper. Um, for instance, you could bend this if I really wanted to. I'm not going to do that. But it's got some good um, force you would have to apply to bend it. So. I guess what I would say is it's good enough to be a coaster. Um, Mm. At the same time, all four of them fit into one of those retro CD sleeves. Um, It's funny I have to say retro CD sleeve, but that is the reality (laughs) of 2021. So that's what it fits in. Um, It's really funny. It's even got a label here. It says, Four Great Coasters International Drink Coasters. uh, Calibri font on Microsoft Word. I did not make that. That's how I got these. So uh, Mm. whoever gets this, Please enjoy. Thank you for following us if you already are. Uh, and then if you're wanting to follow us now, really appreciate that, especially if we want to win this. So you've got a decent decent chance of winning this. Definitely would encourage you to do that. And like I said, it's a great little showpiece. And who knows, maybe at 300 likes, 350, 400 as we go, I'll have some more stuff to give away. But I thought this was a great first prize to start out. And it only goes uphill from here. Well, DJ, I am feeling a little sheepish about asking it, but I asked what material the coasters were made out of in the off chance that they were made of wood. 
because if they did happen to be made of wood, they would have been wooden, wooden coaster coasters. <laughs> that would have been like the ultimate thing. And you would think that maybe they would do that. But, you know, at the rate they give these out, I'm assuming that it was just something they could do cheap. And it was really more the novelty. I do think that's funny. If you don't know much about coasters, but for some reason you are in charge of a park and you're looking for a new roller coaster... Um, this would be a great way for a salesperson to give this to you for you to remember great coasters mm. because you're always using your coasters. Very fascinating. And uh, listeners at home, I actually went to school for sales. That's what my distinction is in my marketing major. And the little things like that uh, always uh, always set well with me. I think that's a great idea. Very clever. Yeah. Love freebies. Love little knickknacks that keep you in the top of their mind. It's It's very nifty. I do appreciate that. And the big thing there is that you can take it on the plane with you, too. So if you're giving this at a trade show or something, it's not going to flag TSA. That's another thing that people, I feel like, don't think about when they're giving things out like that. So always know who your audience is and make sure they can take it home on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Well, DJ, that is our Instagram giveaway. But let's get into the rest of the show. Corkscrew Convos cleared for dispatch. Let's dive in. So, DJ, we have a listener question this week from Trevor. Shout out to Trevor. Hey, Trevor. Appreciate you listening. But we just got to mention listener questions when we put out the bat signal, again with the Batman reference, but here <laughs> we go. Uh, listener questions are the way to pick our brains. They're the way to get a deep dive into whatever you're curious about, whatever you're wondering about. Um, we often do put out the bat signal, the proverbial bat signal, on the Instagram with the questions and the story function. Uh, we might throw a tweet out there as well, and now that we have a Facebook, we might uh, make a little post uh, soliciting questions. And it's how you can contribute to the show as well, and it's a very nice way to start a corkscrew conversation with us. So, DJ, what did Trevor ask? Trevor submitted this question. Again, there's plenty of ways to do that. You can also email us, corkscrewconvos at gmail.com. Plenty of ways to do that. His question... What's the top thing about theme parks you currently miss? For me, it's the smell of the funnel cake. That mm. is definitely something that can be missed. Uh, I think we could all agree that's definitely a top five item, perhaps. I mean, and only the funnel cake. I know there's turkey legs that you really like, Chris. Um, I really like uh, candy, fresh-made candy. But uh, the smell of a funnel cake, wow, that is something that uh, I definitely do miss. So what would you say? What, what, what do you currently miss? Well, speaking of smells, you just reminded me, popcorn. Oh, uh, need... yes. <laughs> so I actually bought a popcorn popper maker recently. And wow. so I've, I've been enjoying all of that. That's also but, what I've been up to, to answer your question from earlier. Well, I hate to be a naysayer, but I don't think it's going to be the same because I don't think it can be the same. I don't know what they do to the popcorn kernels in the little popcorn stands at Disneyland or wherever else. But... When they get a poppin' and the scents go around, I mean, it's it's a visceral experience. If you're unlucky enough to work near a popcorn stand, you have to find a way to manage your popcorn intake on a weekly basis. Otherwise, you're just going to go home and eat popcorn or go over to, to the movie theater and get that huge tub of popcorn. I don't know if I'm speaking from experience. Uh, let's say I'm not, but... 
popcorn is a smell that can be very powerful, and I haven't smelled it in a while because, of course, there aren't movie theaters out there that are really uh, doing much business, and there isn't the park experience as well with that popcorn. But when I when I saw this question, and before I got derailed with the popcorn discussion, and now I want popcorn, DJ, the first thing I thought of was turkey legs. Because where else in the world are you going to get a turkey leg that isn't at a, a park or a renaissance festival or something like that, DJ? You can't get them outside of these environments. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, you, you could just buy a turkey leg from the store. No, you cannot. Because they put, like the parks, they put this sort of curing salt in the turkey leg that makes it all almost taste like ham. And I don't think those curing salts are necessarily easily attainable to the common man. So for me, something I currently miss is turkey legs. It's not something that I would buy whenever I went to a park, but it is something definitely that I took... Uh, great pleasure in enjoying when I uh, put up the money to buy it. I always knew you were a fan of those, and uh, that totally tracks with uh, your behavior in the parks. I, I like them. I like them. I, I, I think sometimes they're difficult to eat. I have this feeling with Dippin' Dots as well. Like, sometimes mm. it makes such a mess. Um, that's usually why I usually uh, avoid it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't taste good. Um, that being said, you know, for me... I think I really miss, and this is very specific, but I miss finding, and this is in very highly themed theme parks, finding these little areas with very little guest traffic, um, but a high amount of theming, a high amount of work put into the experience, perhaps uh, at the end of a pathway, sometimes in corners or dead ends, you might find, for instance, fake advertisements, some fun music going. Um, just little little tidbits maybe of history about the park. That's one of my favorite things where, of course, the midways are full of people, the roller coaster entrances, plenty of people funneling in and out, but it's really those little areas where you have high-density theming. And I think a good example of this, and some people might disagree with me because I feel like I've been to this place uh, many times, and all those times it's been out of the ordinary, I would say, but... I think Nocturne Alley at Wizarding World of Harry Potter uh, at Universal in Orlando is a great example of this. Nocturne Alley being inside of Diagon Alley, inside of Wizarding World, inside of Universal Studios. It's a very specific place. But I've noticed, and I could be totally wrong on this because someone could say I've been there on a busy day, but it feels like not really many people go to Nocturne Alley. And so I feel like I can take my time a bit more. Um, while everyone's watching the dragon outside or going into the stores or uh, enjoying Diagon Alley's open areas. Nocturne Alley, it's very dark. It's themed completely different because it is a totally different area. Uh, the shop in there is interesting, but there's just really no people around that part of the park, it seems like. And so that's kind of the thing I like, a place that's kind of off the beaten path. You can tell somebody uh, about it, and they might not have any idea. I've actually ran into that where I've talked to somebody about it, about it and they had been to the park before, and they didn't know about Nocturne Alley. Um, so, by the way, if you're going to this park, make sure to see Nocturne Alley. It's difficult to find, which is kind of the point. Not terribly difficult, but it is off the beaten path. So okay. I think that would be my answer, Trevor, of what's the top thing about theme parks that I currently miss, uh, outside, of course, the smell of the funnel cake. I think we do need to get a quick disclaimer in there for Nocturne Alley. Um, it is a location in Diagon Alley that is typically 
patrolled by, shall we say, dark wizards who might not have your best interest in mind. Um, so if you feel comfortable in that sort of environment, definitely go and enjoy it. But um, there might be a bit of dark arts going on in Nocturnally as well. Um, just to put that out there. Yeah, make sure to go into Borgen Burks, but uh, just be very cautious of any Death Eaters that might be around. Yeah, keep your wits about you, and, and don't say anything about that Potter kid. <sighs> Do you have any area that like that, Chris, that's similar to you? Or am I just kind of talking well, about nothing here? When you know, it's definitely something that is a big part of the theme park experience. It's sort of recharging space. And I'm not talking about phones or anything. I'm talking about uh, physical, emotional recharging in the theme park environment. It can be a lot. It can be a very overstimulating experience for anyone who's visiting a park because there's music, there's noise, there's screaming going on. But really great parks that were really well designed generally do have these areas where people can uh, sit and relax, recharge, maybe get in the shade for some time. Um, I even think about uh, there was a porch in Main Street, USA at Disneyland, uh, which is noted for being a prime example of this, where it's a porch. It has some chairs and a table there as well, I think. I actually think it was the Wizard of Bras store um, when the park opened in 1955. Uh, that didn't last long, but the porch itself is still there today, and I always see people just using it, enjoying it, whenever I went to Disneyland. Um, I'm thinking, thinking of other examples of these sort of spaces, Busch Gardens Williamsburg has a ton of them. These are usually very green shaded spaces, like in the Irish hamlet Killarney. Um, there are multiple areas that have a ton of picnic tables, maybe under all this uh, green old growth that you have natural shade and you can maybe still hear some Irish music from the general pathway, but it's a little quieter. It's nice. And even the, the Canadian Hamlet as well um, in Bush Gardens where you can sit there with your barbecue and you can still see Invader Griffin and Alpengeist run in the background, but it's a, an opportunity to just recollect and relax. So I really like that you brought that up, DJ, because those are some of my favorite spaces in theme parks, and I named a few of them now. Definitely. Thank you for that question again, Trevor. Again, if you have a question, make sure to follow us on social. Chris posts up on the story there. Opportunity for you to answer a question, usually have plenty of time, at least 24 hours, and then Twitter as well. And of course, if you have a question that uh, just comes up that maybe we haven't asked, remember corkscrewconvos at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. Well, DJ... What's going on? Well, we kind of teased this, Chris. Uh, this was an interesting uh, development that we've seen. Uh, we see a very large, notable Batman. roller coaster up for sale. <laughs> and there's Christian Bale to uh, join in the uh, conversation, or Ben Affleck, or Save Robert Pattinson. Martha! Why did you say George that? George Clooney. <laughs> Mark Hamill. Uh, who else do we have? Michael Keaton. Wait, Mark Hamill was the Joker. Uh, why did I say that? You're completely right. He was the Joker. Good job. Uh, I don't know why I was thinking that. Uh, who else do we have? Adam West? Yeah. I think you... That there, there's a, a song out there from Vine or something. It's many years old, but it's it asks the question... Well, yes, it's on Vine. How many Batman do we need? 
<laughs> and every time a new Batman is cast, that song reappears on the internet. <laughs> well, we all know Christian Bale is the ultimate Batman, but why don't you tell us a little bit about this ride, Chris? Well, it's a pretty big coaster. It was a B&M inverted coaster. Um, it was actually a clone of the first design of a B&M inverted coaster that we ever saw in 1992. Uh, but when we say inverted, this is the roller coaster uh, that is hanging beneath the track or sus suspended beneath the track. So let me pull up the statistics for Batman the Ride so that we can really get to the heart of what this roller coaster is. And just a quick uh, information here, up until this point, uh, most tr there were roller coasters where the track was above you and your feet your feet are below you, um, but not in the dangling sense. Um, before this, we had the suspended coaster from Arrow, so your feet are still in a car. The track is above you, but the cars could swing on an axis around certain turns. But with B and M's inverted coaster design, uh, the cars are not swinging. They're fixed to a position, uh, but that floor in the old Arrow suspended coaster is gone. So your feet are swinging out. You've most likely seen a ride like this. Um, many parks have them, but as we're going to get to, there are a few that maybe could use a ride like this. Yeah, so I have pulled up the statistics for Batman the Ride. Uh, there are many rides with this name and layout, but this is a roller coaster with 2,700 feet of track lengthwise, so it is uh, a bit shorter than actually Blue Streak Racer that we talked about at the top of the show. It has a top height of 100 feet, a top speed of 50 miles per hour, but five inversions, and they're just back to back to back. I mean, you drop off the lift, you get a little turn, you go loop, zero G roll, loop, um, and then two wingovers, which are essentially corkscrews. Um, and it's a very tight, very compact layout. And if I may say so, very intense. Even for being a roller coaster that's just 100 feet tall, it's a very intense ride, DJ. Have you ridden uh, this design of a Batman the Ride roller coaster? I have. I've uh, been on a Six Flags version of this Batman the Ride. Um, I've actually only done it twice, I believe. Um, so I don't have a lot of history with this, but what I do remember is it is a very intense uh, ride experience. Not so because of the height or really even the speed. Like you said, it's the back-to-back -back inversions. There's really only in the middle spot when you do this sort of large helix turnaround that it kind of loses some pacing, but it gains it all immediately back after that. It's really kind of a spot to catch your breath because you need it on this ride. Um, but there's a lot of positive G-forces. That's the G-force that pushes you in the seat. Um, you really feel the blood rush to your feet on this ride. Um, it's very tight. It's very intense. Uh, lots of quick transitions. And because of that, it can result in kind of the headbanging that most folks uh, do not appreciate, me being one of those people. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still a, a smooth ride for what it is. Uh, maybe it's the restraint design doing that, but uh, some good theming as well, not not too terrible, um, but really a great idea for its time, and it's it's worked out. We're still building inverted roller coasters, and so that's really saying something too. But I think what really stuck out to me with this ride was also how intense it was because, and I'm more susceptible to emotion sickness, but I could only do this about twice, and I had to, I had to call it a day on that ride. Mm -hmm. It packs a punch, and I'll say it's... It's rare that a coaster as modern and as big as this goes up for sale. And this was a installation of this sort of Batman the Ride clone um, that was installed in Kuwait 
but they that park has since closed a few years ago and now they are selling this roller coaster and it's pretty rare that we get a B&M coaster that is up for sale anywhere in the world. I mean, B&M coasters are typically very reliable in terms of uptime. They're usually very visually impressive because of that huge track and the roar. They're very crowd-pleasing, and they are expensive as well. So to find one that's for sale and is used is, is, is very rare because they've only been moved a handful of times. And the examples of this that I could remember were Goliath, which was actually a mirror image of the Batman the Ride design um, that was originally at Six Flags New Orleans and then moved to Six Flags Fiesta Texas after that part closed. Which is funny because there's, real quick if I can say, just across the road at Six Flags San Antonio, there's a ride that's the exact same layout, the Batman layout. (laughs) But, I mean, any park that has anything like this, either it's a a Batman the Ride or a B&M Inverted Coaster, uh, they're most likely going to be probably in their top three to five of coasters at the park. They are a big deal. Uh, but going back to B&M coasters that have been moved, there's also Dominator, which was originally installed at Geauga Lake in Ohio. Uh, when that park closed, Cedar Fair moved it to King's Dominion. And if I'm not mistaken, this is probably the largest roller coaster that has been transplanted. That might be wrong, but I just think it's the largest for some reason. Yeah, that's probably right. Uh, we also have Firebird, which is now named Firebird, but was originally Iron Wolf, which was actually B&M's first roller coaster. It was originally a stand-up coaster, opening in the early 90s at Six Flags Great America. Uh, for the 2012 season, I believe, it was moved to Six Flags America, uh, where it had a few more years as a stand-up coaster, and it was just recently converted to a floorless roller coaster, where you are sitting down, but your feet are... Uh, suspended over nothing. So that is a little bit of thrill there too. And also Time Machine. I think it was a just a sit-down B&M coaster in Hard Rock Park and then Freestyle Music Park when it was renamed the following year um, in 2009. Then it sat there for several years as my heart broke every time I'd see a picture of it just sitting there. Uh, but it was moved to Vietnam as, was, uh, as were a lot of the attractions at the Freestyle Music Park spot of land uh, that were sold off. So that's just a handful of rides for B&M that were moved. I think there's only been one B&M coaster that has been made defunct, um, and it was in the most rare of circumstances, and that was Dragon Challenge. Um, of course, a coaster that made sense for Universal's Islands of Adventure when the park opened in 99 but then didn't necessarily meet with what the park was interested in doing as Harry Potter moved in and they sort of readapted it. It was still very popular, but it sort of reached the end of its service life at the same time that they were looking to do more attractions that were really fitting into the land as opposed to just being shoehorned in, as was the case of Dragon Challenge. So long story short, these coasters are usually one of the best coasters that each park has, um, and the parks that have them are generally well-established parks that are uh, major players in the region. But with this roller coaster, this B&M inverted coaster, a Batman the Ride clone, 
we got to think who would buy this coaster because surely this coaster is going to be bought and maybe it could be bought by a, co uh, by a park on another side of the world, uh, maybe China or in South America or even Europe. Because I would imagine there's going to be a lot of parks interested and if they're auctioning this coaster off, I bet it's going to get into the millions. But we can surely speculate about candidates in the Western Hemisphere that we might get to visit sometime. Uh, maybe a little selfishly that we think this way, but I do hope that it gets moved to North America so that we might be able to ride it someday, DJ. Why don't you tell me a few parks that you think might be interested or might be on the list for potentially getting this Batman the Ride clone? You know, I just thought of another ride that had also been moved that was a B&M. Um, Chang, which then became oh, Green Lantern, yeah, stand-up B&M. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's pretty much all of them, though. Um, so as we're going through where we think this Kuwait Batman clone could be placed, and again, we are selfish. Way to point that out, Chris. But we would like to see it in North America because we'll have much, much more of a chance of experiencing this at maybe one of these parks. We already started with Cedar Fair. So we're looking at parks that don't already have an inverted coaster. And... And to be fair, Chris, there's not many. Mm -hmm. uh, but looking at where it could potentially go and, and where it would make sense for the market, we have a couple options from Cedar Fair. So we'll start with Valley Fair. This is up in uh, Minnesota, and we're thinking it would be replacing Excalibur, uh, which is a aero sort of mine train. It's a very weird ride. Um, but what you need to know is that Excalibur takes up a lot of land. Um, and so it would be perfect place for this Batman clone to go, or their raft ride as well, another place that's taken up a lot of land. Um, that being said, I don't know, Chris, and you tell me, if they were to lose their raft ride, would they have another water ride at that park? I've not been to Valley Fair. I think they probably would have a log flume or something, though, and they have a water park. You know, it's it's hard to say. They definitely do have that water park sort of in the middle of their hard park. Um, but I mentioned Excalibur and the Raft Ride in the outline because these are two attractions that are on the outskirts of the park. They are on the western edge, so feasibly um, it would make more sense for this potential Batman, the ride coaster. Of course, it wouldn't be called Batman when it would be put in, but this large inverted coaster would maybe maybe find a home there uh, because it is not a huge park, and it's a, like a, like we said, it's a Cedar Fair park that doesn't already have an inverted coaster, and there's not many of those parks out there anymore that haven't installed an inverted coaster like this. Um, so maybe Valley Fair and, and maybe on the edge of the park, but uh, I'm not sure if they have another water attraction but you think about minnesota they already have such a short season for water attractions would it be very much of a loss very true that's a good point um something to think about but if we move down more to the southeast we then go to virginia we go to doswell virginia to king's dominion um we're thinking that maybe perhaps this would be a great place uh, where Volcano used to be, we do know um, potentially a coaster that will be coming to King's Dominion. We've seen different shots on a variety of coaster websites of track being moved into King's Dominion that are not B&M track. Um, that said, this could also be a great fit because with Volcano gone at King's Dominion, they no longer have a inverted roller coaster. Right. Um, Volcano left a lot of land out there in Safari Village. Um, that's just already flat and ready for another coaster. Um, like DJ said, there have been some pictures out there about new coaster tracks showing up in the parking lot. The park, of course, has not said anything about that yet, but 
Our minds and our imaginations run rampant when we see Coaster Track in the parking lot, and we think we have a general idea of what this coaster is going to be. It looks uh, an awful lot like an SNS 40 free spin coaster, uh, which is a nice little coaster. It's a crowd pleaser. Um, and potentially we might see that being added to King's Dominion for 2022. Um, but then you think maybe two or three years down the road, maybe they're trying to put something in the place of Volcano to really um, fix that section of the park and really add more uh, top-tier attractions to that area. I really think that this Batman the Ride clone could potentially be that fix for them. Yeah, and another park I was thinking of, I've, I've got a couple options here that I've really kind of thought about and haven't put maybe as much thought as you've been putting it into it, Chris. I I seem to kind of just blurt out things and think, oh, it would fit well. Um, so as far as land is concerned, I'm not sure on these, but I had three picks of my own. And just to briefly run through them, we've got Oaks Park over in Portland, Oregon. This is kind of a smaller park. They recently were on the map for a new Gerschlauer Eurofighter roller coaster. That's one of those rides that has a small car, takes the rider straight up in the air 90 degrees, takes them on a beyond vertical drop. Perfect ride for that park. Makes me wonder if maybe they could use something like this high capacity B&M smooth ride experience. Also Adventureland in Iowa, um, kind of a flat landed park we know of. Uh, and that being said, maybe another opportunity for a great B&M ride. Um, they also just put a Gerchlauer in pretty recently, uh, the Monster, which has gained a lot of popularity around. And a third one, this is kind of really out there I feel like, um, but Kennywood in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and as soon as I said that, uh, Chris said, where are you going to put it? Because he has a very <laughs> good point. That is one of the most landlocked parks there is. Not a lot of room. And the terrain is not like um, Adventureland or Oaks. So this is a very, very hilly uh, area of Pittsburgh. It's really built on the side of a, of a hill, to be honest with you. Um, so it might not work as well. The only reason I thought that, well, they don't have an inverted coaster. Never have had one. Maybe it would be a great fit. Um, but alas, it probably wouldn't fit. So, you know, Chris, looking at all of these, I'm going to go with, I'm going to say Valley Fair. I think it'd be a great place for it to go and be great to replace Excalibur, especially knowing how old that ride is. Yeah, I know that there's definitely a sentiment out there to save Excalibur because it is now a rare coaster. There's not a lot of aero mine trains that really as substantial as Excalibur was because it's not a a little mine train like maybe the Cedar Creek mine ride it's uh it has some hills to it so to lose that would definitely be losing a little bit of history but nothing can stand in the way of progress when you think about new attractions coming to amusement parks and I think if Cedar Fair had the option to buy this major roller coaster on the comparative cheap as it were um, I think that they would definitely be interested in that and take that opportunity. So we went with the Cedar Fair Park for this. Um, seems fitting as a place for it to go. Uh, that being said, it was a great segment. I think we have some more news around Cedar Fair, though, and that is hearing about opening dates, tentative opening dates recently for nearly all, all of their parks. Isn't that right? Yes, Cedar Fair, they're going to have their quarter four earnings call um, in the next few weeks or so. I don't remember the exact date, but um, just this past week, they announced their opening days for pretty much the whole chain. Um, to go back in time a little bit to the quarter three earnings call, they mentioned that they could delay the openings of certain parks until 
they could open those parks potentially with a more regular theme park experience and maybe with fewer restrictions. Um, this has become reality, and uh, if this goes according to plan for Cedar Fair, the earliest parks would be opening on May 14th, with maybe a little passholder preview at Kings Island on May 8th and May 9th, um, but then the other parks generally opening on May 22nd. So for Cedar Point, the big flagship namesake park of Cedar Fair, uh, this is essentially an on-time opening, uh, maybe one or two weekends late, but it's generally a full season for Cedar Point. Uh, Kings Island opening on May 8th and May 9th for that passholder preview weekend. Uh, it's maybe two or three weeks late, I'd say. They usually open sometime in April. Now, Kings Dominion and Carowinds in the southeast, um, they uh, their plan is, is to open on May 22nd. Um, and if that is what happens, that would be opening about two months late, uh, two months later from when those two parks generally open. Uh, when you look at Worlds of Fun as well, uh, with a stated May 22nd opening, that's also about a month late from when Worlds of Fun uh, generally opens for the season. But now when it comes to pass holders, um, we don't know how this new information affects them. Uh, they didn't mention anything about pass holder entitlements or how uh, things would be made up. So if we do ask the question, does Cedar Fair have to do anything for these pass holders if they open on these dates? The answer, I think, would be, I don't think so. As the, the parks that are losing time in the early spring, um, the time that they're losing has traditionally just been poorly attended weekends that were pretty much just for school field trips and performances. Uh, that's uh, These group sales for the youth tickets are a consumer segment that is non-existent in 2021. Um, you don't really see a field trips happening this spring, unfortunately, but... Those were the main attendance drivers for these spring weekends, so if that's not there, it does sort of make sense that that's a reason why they push back these opening dates as late as they have. Uh, do I think that they will do something to make up this uh, potential lost time for pass holders? Maybe. Because, DJ, we've said it on many episodes before, uh, they've already given that $50 pass perks credit um, to each gold pass holder that had a pass set up for the 2020 season. Um, and in the case of Kings, Dominion, and Carowinds, they did essentially receive a quote-unquote free month that was taste of the season uh, for that limited capacity event. Um, that being said, I could see them try to push the operating season into no November. Um, and as I've said previously in my idea corner, maybe pushing Grand Carnival, their sort of uh, Mardi Gras-inspired international festival with a parade and foods and dancing, uh, maybe moving that into November so they have a big draw for that time um, to add. Uh, and this would be to add days back into the calendar so they can look and say, all right, you lost these days at the beginning of the season, but we added them back in at the end. They are still retaining this value for the season passes. So I think that's what they're going at with that. But that is, uh, I guess, the end of our Cedar Fair talk, DJ. I have been talking a bit, but it is... Uh, it's interesting to think about the changes to calendars and how things can be made up at different parts of the year. Yeah, no worries. I think you're totally right. Um, I think it is funny to mention, I believe I saw somewhere online that this is the first time in history uh, since uh, some of these parks have been opened 
that Worlds of Fun in Kansas City will open after Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, with how the days are working. Um, wow. So I found that kind of interesting little uh, little side nod there. Um, hmm. But it is very interesting, and that's just how things are. Uh, we'll see what happens there as developments come. Uh, maybe this will be the first park for me this year, maybe a Cedar Fair park. We'll see what happens. I haven't been to a park in a long time. Really starting to miss it. I'm over the year mark at this point, mm. so uh, need to get to one quick. But it sounds like we have some more Disneyland news, and I always feel kind of uh, like I can't provide too much information because I have not been to Disneyland. Public shame on the podcast for me. No, it's just something that it hasn't happened for you yet, DJ, and that's perfectly okay. Uh, but in the future, when you're there, hopefully I'm there too to show you around, uh, but it's going to be amazing. But speaking of Disneyland, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, it of course has been closed since March of 2020. So people haven't been able to buy all the little nifty gadgets and gizmos that are usually sold in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So they have set up a Star Wars outpost in the place of what was previously the Wonderground Gallery in downtown Disney, which is their shopping and food and beverage district uh, between the two parks at the Disneyland Resort. Uh, generally, in the Wonderground Gallery, they sold paintings and other uh, high-value artwork inspired by Disney properties. Um, but they set up shop. They've been selling these novelty Star Wars items uh, just recently that they started with this. But they are already looking to expand. They're moving to a space, another space in downtown Disney that has been unoccupied since 2017. And DJ, it's interesting to think about that. You think about downtown Disney, it should be bustling. There should be a ton of people around it in regular operation, just doing whatever, buying stuff, having a great time. It's a complicated history when it comes to the recent moves of downtown Disney in California, DJ. Uh, because up until, I think it was late 2018... There were huge plans for a luxury hotel to be built in the space between the Disneyland Hotel and uh, about half of downtown Disney was going to be taken for this. So that resulted in the closure of their movie theaters, the closure of... Earl of Sandwich, which thankfully did reopen when these plans fell through, um, and also the ESPN Zone, which was a, a huge sports bar and arcade, and their Rainforest Cafe. So we did see some things pop up in the ESPN Zone building, like a, a little Instagram spot that opened for a few months. Um, they also did thankfully reopen Earl of Sandwich, but the movie theaters did remain closed, uh, with their interior state being unknown to us. We don't know if there's still theaters in there or not. Um, and also Rainforest Cafe, uh, that was a space that hadn't been used for anything. I mean, they had parked food trucks in front of it for regular operation before 2020, but um, that themed building, it was themed to look like jungle ruins, and it just sat there empty in downtown Disney. And it's pretty amazing to think of that. Uh, such valuable land, such a valuable storefront to sit empty for years, uh, but that's what happened. So they are, though, going to be making use of that by moving the Star Wars outpost to the, the building that was Rainforest Cafe. They've already set up some shops and uh, some props and theming in the building area. I mean, you look at the Rainforest Cafe building and you look at Galaxy's Edge, 
there's sort of a... You could see the connection between them if you squinted. Um, so, I mean, they're building it up a little bit, but it is generic Star Wars ruins uh, that they are building up, uh, apparently. Uh, this will start as an exclusively a shopping experience, uh, but it would make sense to start to offer some food and beverage that has previously just been exclusive to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Um, I mean, they have the Ronto wraps, which is just like a sausage and a, a pita and other things like that. And maybe even opening a canteen in the the space in Rain, the, the Rainforest Cafe building. Uh, because I think that would do incredible numbers if they're not trying to preserve the exclusivity of the Star Wars experience at the Disneyland Resort, I do think it is a natural transition to offer a cantina experience in that building because they're not doing anything else with it. And if when the parks open, it is going to be so hard to get into those parks with, uh, with the capacity restrictions, if they have this in downtown Disney, uh, that could help out a bit, I think. I mean... The space has only ever been used for food truck parking the last two years. This could fix a dead area of downtown Disney if they make this a Star Wars HQ for for the shopping district. What do you think, DJ? I think everything you've made sense said has made sense. I always forget that Rainforest Cafe is not a popular thing anymore because I loved it so much when I was like <laughs> six years old. It was literally my favorite place to go. Like when the storm would happen when you were in there and it actually start to rain. It's kind of sad. I feel like some of those experiences don't exist anymore. But uh, yeah, I mean, this totally makes sense to me. When you're saying items that would normally be available in Galaxy's Edge, so are you saying we could have some of the blue milk, for instance, at this store? Uh, yes, if they do expand it to food and beverage offerings as well. I mean, we already know that there at least was a kitchen in that building. So feasibly, it could make sense that they offer some maybe quick service options. Or some of the special Coke bottles or Sprite yeah. bottles. Well, <laughs> I think in 2020, we did see those novelty bottles for Coke and Sprite show up at a wholesale store in Alabama. Do you remember that news story, DJ? <laughs> no, I do not. That is wild. I guess they were about to expire, so Disney sold them to an, a wholesale store in Alabama, and somehow someone took a picture of it, and then a bunch of Disney bloggers took a road trip to buy all, to buy all the novelty uh, soda bottles uh, from this little store in Alabama. Huh. That is really wild that that would happen. That That's the most specific Disney theme park story I think I've heard in a long time. That's really <laughs> I interesting. Mean, never underestimate the effort that a Disney blogger will go to for content. Never will. Never will underestimate them. <laughs> well, let me just close up this Disneyland talk by saying um, back at the resort, um, the entire front section of Disney California Adventure is reopening for shopping and dining um, all the way from Hollywood Land to Buena Vista Street to the front of Condor Flats, not Condor Flats, but the front area by Soren of the sort of state park area of Disney California Adventure. Uh, that's all open now for outdoor shopping and dining and good times. But what we might be seeing soon 
is them using the remaining spaces of the park that have yet to reopen, namely Pixar Pier and the Paradise Gardens area. Uh, they might be using those spaces for an adapted food and wine festival, uh, which is something that they, of course, weren't able to offer last year, uh, but maybe a version of that that they could still offer now uh, when it comes to novelty food and drink items that uh, were generally placed... It, in differing from the Epcot version of food and wine, it's not internationally themed. It's just interestingly themed, I guess, to replace that word. Um, like the first time I had an Impossible Burger was at the Disneyland Food and Wine Festival uh, when I just ordered a slider and I ate it. So, oh, no, it was great. And then I looked up Impossible and the Impossible Foods brand and it was plant-based protein. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't beef? You could have fooled me. Uh, now when it comes to Beyond Burgers, that's a different story. Don't quite care for Beyond Beef, but Impossible yeah, has Impossible's been good. Yeah, Impossible's pretty good. I'm an Impossible fan too. It's, it, mm -hmm. it's pretty close. It's the future. But uh, we might be seeing that when it comes to the Food and Wine Festival at Disney California Adventure. Because I have to think that the mines at Disney are doing anything they can to be able to offer... Uh, food and wine to the Southern California market. Uh, but DJ, let's get to that lightning round where we have quick bits that we are interested in, but either we don't have a ton of information on them and or they're not huge developments, so maybe they're just even updates on past discussions too. Yeah, this is just a quick way to just let you know what's going on. We might not go nearly as in-depth, but it's just to give you an idea of something that you might want to look up, maybe explore a little bit yourself. Maybe we'll talk about more in a future episode, or maybe we already have talked about it. And one of the things that we have already talked about, but we have an official word on now, the Blue Man Group at Universal Studios Orlando is officially out. A 14-year residency playing there, 6,000, that's right, 6,000-plus shows, and millions of guests entertained during that time. Yeah, never got to see it, but uh, hopefully uh, there are other productions that are in a lot of uh, major United States cities will reopen sometime, but they are out at Universal Orlando. Um, also at that same resort, Velocicoaster, they've had their entrance revealed. And DJ, I already have a hot take for you. Are you ready for this? Let's hear your hot take. Okay, you see the entrance for Jurassic World Velocicoaster, and it's this arch that fits in and everything, but then there's just two raptors on the top of the entrance, and I'm not in love with it. Maybe it'll grow on me, but I think it looks off because I'm worried that putting the raptors on top of the entrance in such a prominent spot where people can just stand there and look at the raptors, they're going to demystify the raptor experience. I mean, it's I feel like it's scarier if you don't get a solid extended view of the creature. Like if you're whizzing by it and it has a little bit of motion, that could get you. But if you're able to just sit there and drink it in, you're going to be demystified with the raptors a little bit, I feel like. Yeah, the entrance looks very bland in my opinion as well. And, and my hot take, maybe not a hot take, but just my idea, I think they just ran out of money. I think this was an expensive coaster and that was the next thing to get, not scrapped, but just, you know, changed a little bit. So they thought, well, we can just do this and put some leftover uh, velociraptors we have because the roller coaster looks great and the car looks great and people aren't going to really care much about the entrance. Mm, yeah. Well, when you think about animatronics in or animated figures in a ride experience, 
I have to think of Harold, which is the name of the Yeti in Disneyland's Matterhorn bobsleds. Um, they just redid the animatronic for the 2015 anniversary, I think it was. I mean, it was already an impressive animated figure, but it's actually surprising and even scary when you whiz by it and it reaches for you. Um, and that's because we're not able to stand there and pick it apart in our minds. It's just you take a turn. Oh my gosh, there's Harold. And then you take another turn. And I think that's a really effective way of conveying the wow factor of that animated figure. But if you're able to just sit there and look at the raptor, I don't know if it's going to have the same effect. Yeah, it's kind of similar to Dinosaur, right? You don't really see the T-Rex anywhere, spoiler alert, uh, until it's time. It's kind of, I don't know why they're doing that. Maybe there's a big surprise we don't know about, but that being said, we're going to shoot up north. We're going to go to Santa Claus, Indiana, to Holiday World, southern Indiana, near Evansville, and we're talking about uh, previously discussed enhancements to the Raven roller coaster for this upcoming season. We talked a little bit about this, but they teased a final secret to be rebuilt. In addition to rebuilding an entire section of that coaster from the ground up, there was a section that went over the lake that's been all completely redone, rebuilt, Uh, But we finally have the secret that's been revealed. Chris, do you want to do the honors? Oh, yes. They have painted the sides of the cars on the Raven coaster. Uh, They've painted these little Raven wings. And I think that's a nice, unique touch to the coaster at a park that puts a lot of thought and effort into the experiences they offer. Um, I don't think they were going to put an inversion or launch on Raven or anything. Uh, certainly not. But this is a nice touch because I think previously the trains were just red. Uh, but now having these Raven wings on the sides, that's going to look nice. I'm trying to remember what we originally thought was going to happen. My guess, I think, was uh, the the show, like not the show building, but that transfer building you go in before the lift. I thought maybe a little more theming there. It looks like that's not going to happen. Hey, maybe in the future. But now, let's leave Southern Indiana and head over to Osaka, Japan. And Universal Studios Japan, they have released videos of their Mario Kart attraction. And it looks very good, DJ. I know that you haven't looked at it yet, and you want to sort of preserve the experience when you finally get to ride it, be it in Japan or Hollywood. Uh, But it looks good. Uh, I'll just say a few vague things so that it's not spoiled for anyone. Um, It looks like a lot of nice motion, uh, some nice integration with the screens and the animated figures and the twin tracks. It looks good. I mean, it's essentially an e-ticket attraction for Mario Kart. There were high hopes going into it, and it looks like it's going to live up to those expectations. I And I remember you telling me after watching it, and again, I didn't want to watch it, don't want to spoil it, hope to go to Japan someday, um, but you said, yeah, we need one of these in the yeah. U.S. <laughs> I did say that. Uh, but we just have one other bit of business in this lightning round, and that is Urban Commons. Uh, we talked about them filing for bankruptcy in the last episode. Um, We mentioned the former Nick Hotel. They lost their Nick licensing. We should say that that hotel is still operating, uh, but it is now a Holiday Inn resort without the Nick theming. It has been repainted. It has been rebranded. It is simply just a Holiday Inn resort in Orlando. Phew, so that was our lightning round. That was very quick, DJ. It's time to hit the brakes, but we're not quite done yet.
Remember to always send us your questions. We'd love to have a corkscrew conversation with you. We're on <laughs> Facebook, Corkscrew Convos, Twitter at Corkscrew Convos, and Instagram at Corkscrew.convos. Each platform, a little bit varied in content. You know, we've got memes on Twitter, photos on Instagrams, giveaway on Instagram, 250 Ooh. follower giveaway, and discussions and articles on Facebook. Remember, we're trying to get to 250. Just because you aren't our 250th follower, though, doesn't mean you're not in on the fun. Remember that you can enter that competition by going to our Instagram page. Make sure you're following if you're not, but if you are following, look out for that post when the 250th uh, person follows, and you'll need to like and comment on that photo. Yeah, it's going to be a really great time. Really looking forward to that first giveaway, hopefully the first of many. Um, but let's just, in closing, say, go ahead and tell your friends about Corkscrew Convos. Uh, what's good for the show is good for you, because if we get to build on what this show is, it's just better content in your ears, and at the end of the day, isn't that what we all want? So if you are hearing this end of show business, you haven't already turned it off, wow, you do impress me a whole lot. I I do appreciate what you do really listening to the show to the whole end, uh, but go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already. If this is the first time you're listening to Corkscrew Convos, Wow. I hope you like what you've heard. Um, if you do leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it out, and we'll also give you a shout-out on the show. Trevor already got a shout-out on this show because they left a listener question, and that's another great way to get a shout-out, is leaving that listener question on any of the platforms that we've mentioned. Um, so if you do leave that five-star review on Apple, you write something, we'll read it out, and we'll give you that shout-out on the show. It's a great time. It's a simple transaction. But DJ, until next time, my name is Chris. And my name is DJ. And this has been another Corkscrew Convo. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.